When it dropped the valve, it had 104,000 miles, and I was doing a burnout with it. Yeah. <laughs> <Atta> boy. <laughs> it's time for Loud Pipes. The podcast that brings you the best conversations relating to motorcycles, the riding experience, and other motoring adventures. Here are your hosts for this episode, Rich Warfield, Rico Hogan, and John Maracle. Loud Pipes, episode 152. We're going to be talking about the state of vintage motorcycling. We've got a special guest, Mr. Floyd Finch, on the line. He's going to bring us up to speed on all things vintage. John will tell us about all of his riding adventures, although he hasn't been out. Enrico's, they get back again. Yeah, yeah. What's going on, buddy? Do you have a beverage on your side or what? Oh, my goodness. Yes, I do, Pimpin'. Yes, I do. What is it? I'm drinking uh, OMB Copper Baby in a frosted mug, even. Oh, you dug into one of them. Look at you. I, I had to. After last time, you were like, oh, you didn't drink my copper. So now I'm drinking a copper. I brought it all the way to Atlanta, and you're not going to drink it. You know, I'm going to drink that. What you drinking on, Pimpin'? Uh, well, you went to Sierra Nevada without me, I might add. So I'm having a Sierra Nevada Hop Solo. What? Crystal Hop IPA with your opener, if I could get it to work. There we go. Oh, yeah. That's me. Johnny John. Yes, sir. Are you drinking? Always. Wait a minute. What are you drinking, John? Happy birthday, Cameron. Mm. That's right. Uh, eight years true. old today. He turned he turned a little eight and I made a call to him and wished him happy birthday. I heard it. I heard he had a smile on that. Yeah, I'm all sugared up now from the cake. I was just eating that right before the show. Oh geez. Well, he's not that gonna ex- sleep in the night. That explains that cream on your face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, I don't have, he doesn't have a beverage, but let's do our our formal introduction to Mr. Floyd Finch. He has a blog called Moto Psycho. He's um, a representative for the Vintage Japanese Motorcycle Club, which we'll get into, and all the other vintage items. So, Floyd, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for having me. And... I'm kind of looking forward to this. And, and like I said, when I first brought this up, I said the state of vintage motorcycling, which actually kind of ebbs and flows with the state of the rest of motorcycling. Right, right. Although it's kind of a, and the kind of an interesting statistic that I read earlier, I think it was on my part or one of the other blogs that uh, even though motor, new motorcycle sales have been down, total motorcycle ownership per household is actually up at this time. Mm-hmm. Does that mean they're lasting longer or people are just putting more in the stable? I think people are just putting more in the stable. And that's kind of, and plus they're lasting longer. I mean, as, as much as we like to talk about the good old days, the engines don't last, didn't last in like they do today. Right. Right. And some of them, not, you had, you really, you were in the uh, late 70s and early 80s before you started having 100,000 mile engines that didn't need to rebuild. And, yep. And uh, talking about vintage motorcycling, I'll point out though, I'm, I'm with the Vintage Japanese Motorcycle Club of North America. And there's also the Antique Motorcycle Club of America. If you're into collecting American antiques and British, 
And of course, there's a club for almost everything you can imagine. What is your your title with the VJMC? I have two. I am the Eastern South Carolina field representative, and I'm also the National Field Representative Coordinator. That sounds like you're very busy. <laughs> that and I work too. And you work too. Oh my. <laughs> Nice. Well, that's probably a good place to start. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the organization? Uh, we've certainly seen the setup that they have at Barber. We've been there, what, three times now, guys? I think in total. Yeah, yeah. Three probably. times. Mm-hmm. So we're not 100% on going back this year, but we do like the event. So that's probably a good place to start. Okay. Well, the club was founded in 1977, and it's kind of spread to all 50 states plus uh, several Canadian provinces. It's actually, and of course, there's also a BJMC of the UK and in Australia. <laughs> so well, we're not all one big club. We're all sort of interconnected. And we do rallies and events around the countryside. We do a lot of shows that are open shows for anybody who wants to enter. And then we also do our large private members only rallies. Got it. So the big event that's done at Barber is a a combination of a private and public event. Yes. That one is the show bikes are invited in by members and unusual that our, the bikes shown at Barber have to be 100% bulk stock, not even so much as an aftermarket muffler is on them. Mm, Nice. Except for the cafe racer class. <laughs> so the, the, the most original um, or correct bikes that you can find should be, should be at that event. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Now you said that that affiliates with some other organizations and some other events. So what are some other big ones that you have for the year? Okay. Well, that is our, uh, you know, of course we're invited there by Barbara and then, uh, March 8th through the 10th in Eustis, Florida at the Lake County Fairground is uh, is one of our bigger events. It's, it's held in conjunction with the Vintage Motorcycle Alliance. They have a swap meet and show, and the VJMC runs the show. That's at the Lake County Fairgrounds in Eustis, Florida, the first weekend of Bike Week. Got it. And sorry, I have to take a, a little step back to the to the VJMC. So what are some of the things or some of the benefits of joining that group? And is there a any sort of um, prerequisite? You know, do you have to own a motorcycle? Does it have to be of a certain age? Is it just No, a- there's no prerequisite required except for the basically to be interested in the old bikes and to be willing to pay we put out a we put out a full color sixty four page magazine. Nice. Six times a year that by itself is worth 30 bucks. It goes to join. And when you add in the opportunity to travel and meet, to go to shows and events and meet people and to ask for technical help and find restoration parts and supplies, it's well worth it. Got it. So do you have a class that would, that I could enter my 2000 R6 or is that not old enough? It will be next year. Next year. Oh, yeah. There you go. It's 20 years or older. So this year is 2019. So if it were a 99, you could. 
Although at a lot of our open shows, we hold, for example, we have one coming up at the one in South Carolina. The we'll have classes for all bikes. That's an open show. It's designed to get the message of the club out to invite people in and raise money for charity. Yeah. So hear that, Rico? As long as I don't bend it up on the track, good to go. Which you won't. I won't. You're going to be an excellent rider. It'll be pristine. It'll be as beautiful as it is today. Yeah. yeah. Well, Rich, you got one problem. You got to go get a stock exhaust. Mm. Well, that's, that's for Barber. Now, for the rest of the shows, we don't, we're not that tight. <laughs> okay. All right. I, actually, I still have the original exhaust for that bike. Do you? Yep. And the original shield for the front. So if you ever want that. It's too bad you don't have that touring luggage that you tossed oh yeah i was thinking about that <laughs> yeah just to throw that out there one more time hindsight <laughs> so yeah. floyd we'll give you the background i don't know how long you've listened to the show but rico's 2000 r6 he he bought it new and then i just recently bought it from him in the last couple of years so mm-hmm. keeping it in yep. the family yep well, that sounds good. That's the best thing to do with a great bike. Because I have a, I have at this point right now, I think I have. Let, let me let me look at my list here and count how many Uh-oh. I have. That's oh, a yeah. list. Okay, We're off to the garage. <laughs> at this point, I have nine. Five of them are registered and insured for the highway. Two of them are running projects, and one of them is definitely in waiting. Three of them are running projects, and one of them is definitely in waiting. <laughs> I love the status. Yeah. Running projects. <laughs> I think every bike I've had has kind of been a running project. Running project. <laughs> running from something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. If you look at my blog, you've seen this SL100 that I've been restoring. I actually sprayed the paint on all the parks this past Tuesday night. Yeah. And that thing has been a nightmare from where it go. I really should have left, took it directly out of my truck and put it in the dumpster. But instead, you decide you put a lot of money into it instead. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of time. (laughs) Well, tell us about that project. Yeah. What is is that bike and what's what's your goal for that one? Okay. Well, the. The SL is a 1972 Honda SL100, mm-hmm. and my goal is for it to look 95% of factory new. It's got a couple little dings in the aluminum cases and stuff that are too deep to polish out, so, so it won't be perfect. Right. But my goal is to get it as close to perfect as I can, as I can without buying that $1,000 new old stock fuel tank on eBay. Yeah. Yeah, that's when it gets pricey, right? Yeah. Although if the competitions are are paying a prize, maybe you know maybe it would pay off. Well, not really. It's mostly bragging rights. Bragging rights, small yeah. trophy, maybe. Yeah, tall trophy. Get it in a magazine. <laughs> that type of thing. Get other people to pay you to do things for them. Cool. <laughs> Nice. Well, I, I'm dying to hear that list of bikes. I don't know about Rico and John, but I'd like to hear what's on what's in the shop currently, and and we can pick some of those apart. And that's uh, '82 Honda FT500 Ascot. Nice. And that is 
That is the one that's in worse shape and the furthest down the list. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have and pictures then, of that on, 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 on your site? Somewhere in one of the uh, junkyard dogs articles. All right, let me look for that. Yeah. I had sworn I wasn't going to buy give. I was going to quit buying old bikes. I quit buying old bikes every month or two. <laughs> you quit <laughs> buying until the next one. Yeah. Then And this one, I actually got it to fire and spit a little bit the other day. I just brought it home with some 1973 CB350 Honda. Nice. And it's truly awful looking. Now, it's not on my blog anywhere yet. So it's going to be the prototypical cafe racer. I'm not going to try to restore it at all. <laughs> Chop the tubes. Straight to the front. <laughs> yep. And then here's another 80s bike that I always wanted since I was younger. And I've got a running example sitting out there, but it was wrapped around the tree and needs all new body work. And the front fork. It's an 87 BFR 700 intercept. Oh, nice. Yeah. I love V4 Hondas when they're running. They're pain when they're not running, but they're wonderful when they're running. Well, the new ones are the new ones are fuel injected, right? So that's not much yeah. of a hassle. No. Nah. But the old ones, especially when they've been laying on their side next to a tree in some guy's backyard for <laughs> 10 years there. <laughs> Um, oh, tell me you don't you don't buy those really, do you? Yes, I do. Oh, some of them might get given to me. Some of them I buy. <laughs> really, I got one for you. I think. Let me dig it up. Yeah. See if you could fix this one. Well, <laughs> Mister Birch says uh, he has plenty of parts for your your three fifty. If you're interested. Yeah, he's supposed to let me know about a front end that I was asking. <laughs> I know this will sound backwards. I want to convert it from drum brakes. Back, I want to convert it from disc brakes back to drum brakes. Oh, well, just to make it original, right? Just to make it look good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm supposed to ask you about a Bentley. Okay. Yeah, I have an original unrestored 1964 Bentley, which is the CA95, which is 150cc. Nice. It's got less than 8,000 miles on it, but it runs like a sewing machine. Yeah, it, it'll crank up on the first kick or two every time. <laughs> it's just too small to slow to ride on the roads around here. I take it to rallies and ride it around. Yeah, one of the things that I love that the BJMC does at their rallies, they do what they call tiddler rides. Bikes 200 cc or less go out on a group ride. Mm. And you guys go drive by and tickle each other. Is that the thing? Yeah, we just. <laughs> we have. I'll have you have to repeat that one at me. No, he was saying, "Do you do you ride by and tickle each other?" Is that where the name <laughs> comes from? Because uh, <laughs> you're going so slow, you got a bunch of old geezers. They better not let go of the one handlebar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, two two hands on the bars at all times. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a it's a tiddler, Rico. Oh, tiddler, oh, tiddler, not tickle. Okay, no, got tiddler. you. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. 
I'm just reading the comments tonight, and I'm just dying laughing. <laughs> in the in the chat room here, it's like Dangerous Dave left, and and Tony T is telling him to go brush his beard. I'm just rolling over here. Yeah. But actually, he was asking about the weird stuff like the Honda Pacific Coast or the Trans Out. If it's over 20 years old, it's more than welcome. Mm. And I'm, I'm a person I would describe. I have eccentric taste in motorcycles, as you will see by the time I get the end of the list. But yes, they do show up at rallies and they do come to the shows and enter. Nice. So, yeah, you know, Pacific Coast, literally, it's anything over 20 years, which is kind of interesting because now the late model Japanese cruisers are starting to show up. Oh, right. Shadows and Vulcans. Mm -hmm. and Now they're old enough to be classic. Yep. And we kind of set our age at 20 years or older. Now, clubs like the AMCA, because theirs is technically an antique motorcycle. Now, an antique motorcycle is 35 years or older. Right. So 35. Yeah, I was thinking 30. Yep. Yeah. Nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh then I guess I'll let's see what's next on the list. I have an, an original unrestored, nice running 72 Yamaha CS5 two stroke. That is the predecessor to the RD 200. You know that one, Rico? Yes. You do. I got I have to look that one up. Yeah. It's purple and white. You can come up with a question, Hogan. I'll find something. <laughs> I got to oh, look at this. Sorry. Thing. Yeah, yeah, look at it. Oh, yeah. I'm going to close that window. Dang, dang it. Well, actually, I was going to ask you, so, um, you know, bikes aside, what what are you noticing as trends in the in the industry, in the vintage world? Well, I mean, in the... In the vintage world, like everything else, like I said, there was a period of slowdown. I actually had a brief conversation with Buzz Canner, an online conversation with Buzz Canner, the editor of American Iron Magazine and publisher. Yep. And I actually wrote an article about it. It dropped off, and I don't think things are as bad as the gloom and doom reports go. Like, our membership did drop down, but I'm seeing a lot more young people get into it. And for example, at one time our club was like 100% purist, but now a lot of young people are pulling up, and especially with the cafe racer craze and the brat craze, and they're saving a lot of stuff that would have gone in the scrap bin, would have been melted down. Yeah, for sure. And and gone. And so now we have an article every month on building custom motorcycles. And of course, one of the other organizations that we we participate in a lot of their meets, which of course Barbara is one of their meets, and that's Armor. I'm looking at this CS5 now. This is pretty cool. Yeah, two stroke. It's a neat little bike, and that's Tiny a twin, light, right? Yeah, yeah. The twin. Oh, I'd ride that. Look at that thing. Mm -hmm. We can join the Tiddler ride, Rico. Titlers. There's an orange one here for you. I'll take the purple and white, and you can ride the orange <laughs> one. Does it have a brown seat? No. Well, we can fix that. Oh. All right. Make anything you want out of it. Minor detail. Exactly. Minor detail. Yeah. <laughs> oh, here's one that's, oh, it's an, it makes an ugly cafe bike, though. Oof. So what, what do you have currently as projects? So on, on the list, what's the most active project? I know you talked about the... The S most active project is the SL100 and the VFR700. And the VFR and is going to be a street bike for you then? 
Yeah, it's going to be a street fight. It's, it's next on my list for the most attention. <laughs> most attention. And then for my riding, I have a 1980 CB650. That, that one's on my blog site. It started out as a 650 Custom. Yeah. But I've done a lot of work to it. It's now a scrambler. And, of course, then I have an, an 01 Honda Helix, which is not old enough to be vintage yet. But it's a it's a really neat scooter and very comfortable. And my wife and I use it for a touring bike. And I'm not allowed to sell it without her permission. Oh, no. Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> All right, the Helix. I didn't see this one. I looked at a bunch of your bikes earlier today. I got to find that one. You have a blog post on that one? You know, I don't think I do. Mainly because I've never done any work to it except change the oil. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little too reliable, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was fun. It was kind of interesting. I had a Suzuki TS-185 that I had restored. Yeah. A kind of a rest of them. I did a did a did a crazy uh, machinery gray and black paint job on it, and I had it for sale. But, uh, since I got tired of all the scammers that were bugging me on Craigslist, I told him I'd take it because I figured I could flip the helix on eBay. Yeah, I took my wife for a ride on it. She said, "Well, you know, this is more comfortable than any motorcycle you own, so we have to keep it." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a keeper. Yeah. All right. I'm trying to find this rat bike. That's the 650, right? Yeah. Scrolling, scrolling. Now, your your blog is your blog mainly just for for personal benefit, or use this? Yeah. What do you use that for? Yeah, mainly? Kinda, well, I advertise my vapor blasting business, and I do some. You know, I do a little bit of restoration work for people on the side, but I like to do the vapor blasting. I have an ultrasonic carburetor cleaning machine. Mm-hmm. Ultrasonic. Wasn't that a song? I don't know. No. A song? Sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm kind of I'm looking at all the other um Yamaha's um uh C twenty five or CS fives. Yeah. And seeing them in all these different colors, like I'm trying to place it and I can't. And I'm struggling. I, I've rarely see them. I'm trying to find the six fifty though. I want to see that. I did see the VFR. That thing looks rough, though. I got to tell you, Floyd. I think you've got your hands full there. So what other services do you do down there, Floyd, besides the vapor blasting? Restoration in general? Yeah. Uh, well, restoration in general, uh, a lot of I'll do. I do carburetor work. Like I said, I have an ultrasonic cleaner. I, bought, I actually bought a five-gallon setup where I could if a bike didn't need its carburetor broken completely apart, I could put in the, put the entire rack into an ultrasonic cleaner at one time. So, like four carbs from an R six would fit in there nicely. <laughs> yeah, with room to spare. <laughs> Just asking for a friend, of course. <laughs> what needs to happen in order to fix a carburetor the right way? Let's get into detail about that. You know, I'm always curious about you know the carburetor work. And mm-hmm. the, tedi- the tedious tweaking that you have to do with the shims and all that. How- Tell me, explain that to somebody that has never do has never done something like that before. 
Well, the biggest thing, well, let's just assume we'll start with stock carburetors that are using a stock air filter and they don't have a lot of modification, a lot of action. The biggest single thing is to make sure that all the passages are clear. Mm. When you take it apart yourself, you lay everything out in the order that it came off, in the order that it came apart. There's actually. Uh, there's actually a couple of article posts on my blog detailing that. Some of them have parts laid out, call it. But you lay it out where you can put it back together exactly the way it came apart. And you make sure that all the passages are clean. If there's some place that air or gasoline goes through a little port or a jet somewhere, there's somewhere else that it comes out. <laughs> and the point. idea is to make sure that all those passages are clean. And that you thoroughly inspect all the rubber parts and replace anything that needs it. So those little pinholes that you're talking about, what do you use to stick inside there to to clear those passages out? Because those could be smaller than a needle head for most of them. Yeah, well, an easy way to do it is to have like a, uh, I actually have a set of jet cleaners that I've got when I was working as a Honda service technician years ago. They're actually made by Honda. They look like welding torch tip cleaners, but they're not quite as hard. But you can always take like a piece of like like a piece of stranded copper wire or a bristle or a, like a steel bristle brush or something. Uh-huh. And just pull one piece of wire out of it and use that to clean the smallest holes. <laughs> just be careful so you don't scratch or gouge the jet and make the hole larger. Ah, that's the trick, eh? Yeah. So when you're, when you're doing that work, Floyd, do they have kits now to make your carburetor survive ethanol any better? You know, replacing some of the rubber with silicone and things like that? It depends on the bike. The more popular applications do have updated stuff. And it won't be with silicon, it'll be with a different type of rubber. For example, a lot of the old ones actually use the old-fashioned Buna mm-hmm. rubber. And a lot of the new kits, if it's a bike that's popular enough, they'll have a nitrile or meton, which survives the ethanol better. Gotcha. It still doesn't help with when you leave leave the bike sitting for three or four months if the ethanol will still dissolve the gaskets will survive and you might be able to reuse them but it'll still clog up that's why fuel injection is actually quite wonderful surviving ethanol (laughs) is that because of the pressure it doesn't really because of the pressure yeah yeah and it's not the same thing as trying to, because it's forced through the nozzle into the cylinder or into the port. That's why. Whereas with a carburetor, you're depending on suction to pull the gasoline into the engine. Right. Yeah. You're drawing it through. Yeah. Well, is, is that the same for a bike that's carbureted, but also has a fuel pump? That's just pumping it into the bowls, right? That's not, there's no yeah, pressure into the engine. Into the, no, there's no pressure into the engine. Gotcha. Because I wondered about that, you know, Rico on the R6. I'm like, wait a minute, why is there a fuel pump? This thing is carbureted. <laughs> well, a lot of a lot of the bikes did that. That actually kind of started back in the mid '80s, yeah. When they were have when they, especially sport bikes and cruisers, so having the carburetors, they started doing downdraft carburetors. The back, the gas tank would actually be lower 
part of the gas tank would actually be lower than the carburetor inlet. So they had to pump fuel up to it. Yeah. 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 It makes sense. Now it just kind of struck me the first couple of times I wrote it. I was like, wait a minute, I'm hearing a fuel pump. Yeah. <laughs> you can hear that? Yeah. Sure. can. Oh, when you, before you started. Yeah. Yeah. Because if it hasn't been run for a while, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Once it's warm and you've been riding it, I don't hear it, but. Yeah. Think back there for a second. <laughs> you took you took me back. <laughs> Sorry, put you on that way back machine for a minute. Yep, yep. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> way back. Now, and of course, my last bike, which is not vintage at all. Matter of fact, I haven't seen it yet. It's on the uh, truck on its way here right now. I bought a brand new 2017 Moto Guzzi Romer. Ah, you were telling me about that. Yeah. So I haven't seen it yet. It's scheduled for delivery in two weeks. So I'm, I can't wait for that. I've always loved Gucci's. They've all, they've always had a beautiful sound to them. And everybody that I saw, I've never seen an unhappy person riding a Gucci. So I figured I should at least try one. <laughs> and this one came up for sale at a bargain, bargain basement price. <laughs> because it was a leftover 17. So I jumped on it. I don't know. Micah's not on a live stream, is he? <laughs> Unhappy Moto Guzzi rider. Hmm. Yeah, our, our buddy Micah's had a couple issues with his V7 Classic, including the the teeth being sheared off of the main drive shaft recently. That was rough. Hmm. Inside the, the transmission. Yeah. That's real rough. That is real rough. I'll, I'll so that's that. actually unusual. At least I know the newer ones have had some teething issues with the, but the older ones from the seventies were probably the most reliable bikes of their time period. Yeah. Yeah. This is a newer one. All right. So how, how do you pick a bike that you're going to get though? I mean, you know, yeah, there's lots of vintage bikes out there, but what, what piques your interest when it comes to picking out a bike you want to purchase and restore? I mean, what goes into that and your thought process around that? Well, here is the thing. I'm almost every day or every other day scanning Craigslist, eBay, let go and Facebook marketplace. Mm -hmm. And most of the time I'm looking for things to flip. And there's also a group of people I know from all around the Carolinas and Florida that are always looking for and buying and swapping and selling and trading. And, but there will be certain bikes that, that I'm curious about. For example, like this Helix, I had no interest in uh, getting it. I traded for it. the CB350. I was at a friend of mine's house and I traded him a Suzuki TS350 for it. And, wow. Did did you did did you giggle when you when you said yeah I'll do it? Did you kind of giggle? He's like, <laughs> oh, it feels good when you get a bargain, even if it's something you don't want, even if it's something you know you can trade to someone else. Uh -huh. <laughs> even when you know the bike that you're giving him is is in worse shape than the one you're getting. <laughs> well, but they were about equal, so yeah. No, I mean I'm honest with people. That's the thing about it. Yeah. I will, but I have done things I have bought. I have bought a bike at for a hundred bucks at three thirty in the afternoon after work on Friday, uh -huh. and then sold it Saturday afternoon at lunchtime for two hundred. Nice. 
So I'm always looking, but every now and then I get one that I want to catch. The CB350 is one of those bikes. Two things. I love that style of bike, that size, the small, but still big enough to run on the highway. Mm-hmm. And I'm really jonesing to build a cafe racer. I've built bobbers and choppers and all that, even back in the days long before the internet. And although it's a common thing now, I have personally never built a cafe racer, so I want to do oh, that now. Cool. Yeah. And, and you're going to use that, uh, the, the 350 to build yours? I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Nice. What, what color are you thinking? My thoughts on that one would be candy apple red over like a gold base mm. with the Honda logo and ghosted in underneath candy. Nice. I can see it. What kind of, uh, what color seat? Uh oh, that's a big question. Oh, that's get important. It, get this, get get this, get this right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that I'm not sure. I'm debating between silver and black. Uh oh, <laughs> yeah. Internet's fading again. <laughs> Floyd, you there? Yeah. <laughs> well, I actually like light colored patches on top of the seats because they're a lot cooler. If you're going to customize it. You might as well. Yeah, <laughs> my rat bike has a green panel seating panel on the top of the seat. Nice. I want to follow up on Rico's question and and kind of get your opinion on what's a good bike to start with if you want to get into vintage motorcycles. You know, either the make or a certain model, certain years. You know, what's a what's a good place to start for someone who doesn't have anything older than you know, 10 or 15 years? Well, in all honesty, I would say go with your taste, but stay away from the really extreme oddballs. And like a CB750, I would, if you're going with a CB750 Honda and you're an 80s child like me, I'd really recommend the 79 to 82 CB750s through 1100. Although the 1100s is rare as hen's teeth and expensive as gold. Right. <laughs> but the 750s and the 900s can still be had reasonable, and they're extremely reliable 100,000-mile bikes. Nice. 100,000 miles. Jeez. I actually put 105,000 miles on mine that I had before I dropped the valve. You actually rode it on there? I actually rode it 100,000 miles. I oh. went for three years with it, without a car. <laughs> no, I mean, you actually penciled in. 100,000 miles on the side of the tank. But you actually wrote it. I was I trying to be funny. You missed it. <laughs> I'm sorry, too. Apparently. For almost 10 years. Oh, really? Yeah. Jeez. I'm not that hardcore anymore. I like to stay warm now. Yeah. I used to be hardcore like John when I first started riding, but not anymore. I'm like, yeah. It's wet. It's cold. It's cold. I'm tired. Yeah. Although I. I did ride to work one day earlier this week. It was 37 that morning, but it made up for it by being nearly 70 at 5, 8, 5 o'clock. Nice. It's a good ride yeah. home. Well, I'm kind of partial to the, the first-generation Goldwings, and Mr. Birch and I have talked about this a lot. He's actually sort of looking for one for me. I'd, I'd like to have one of my birth year, 75. Um, <coughs> but I understand there's some advantages to a 76 or up to, I think, 78 it is. 
Yeah. But I like well, those because the tank is the tank is under the seat and you can really customize options above the engine. And they're actually very good bikes and if you're willing to take your time and you've got you know, the necessary equipment and the strength to handle big parts as you're taking them apart to fix them. They're great. Or if you find one in mint condition, it's running, which is in all honesty, the best way to buy an early gold wing. Yeah. But there's two great sources of parts and service for those. One is in North Carolina and the other one is in Tennessee. Of course, the one in Randall. Am I allowed to mention commercial ventures on here? Yeah. You're talking about Randall okay. in North Carolina? Randax in North Carolina and Pistol Peaks in Tennessee. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, they're well supported. And, yeah, I wouldn't have a problem recommending that to someone. If you're not if you're not real mechanically inclined, I just advise, advise you to go ahead and get one in good shape anyway. <laughs> get one that's just done and just ride it. <laughs> yeah. And say you did it. Yeah. Look what I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Well, you know, there was actually an article in our club magazine a month or two ago. I don't know if it was this past issue or the one before that, but it was called Low Hanging Fruit. <laughs> and it was written by one of our club members. What he likes to do is buy bikes that are like really nice. He'll buy like, a, a say, an 82 Yamaha Seca, I think. And it was in nearly perfect condition. All it needed was seat recovered, stuff like that. There's all kinds of bikes like that out there that can be found. Huh. Whereas I, on the other hand, I'm a member of a Facebook group called the Gluttons for Punishment Motorcycle Group. <laughs> and we specialize in finding the nastiest, most flea-bitten <laughs> projects that we could find. Nice. That, that rat bike that you see, that actually looks good compared to what it did when I found it. Oh, no. <laughs> That bike is a lot more heavily modified than you realize. That's a 74, 750 Honda tank on it. I had to weld braces on the back of the tank to lift it up where it would mount on the uh, 81 frame. Mm-hmm. The original tank had rust holes in the top of it. Oh. I bought it at a junk auction for 150 bucks without seeing it. My dad was at the auction and he said, there's no Honda here you want. I said, yeah, but don't pay over 150 bucks for it. And so that's how I wound up with it. Nice. That is pretty neat. I'm just looking, I'm scrolling through the pictures on the speedometer restoration on yeah. the uh, the SL100. That's pretty cool. No, thank you. So you had to create a new number plate for that? Is that what I'm seeing there? Or you purchased one? Yeah, yeah. I actually had a pr- local print shop. I took the old one off. And carried it to them, a screen printing shop. Mm-hmm. And they uh, printed one out. And I, thought, I got them to print, too, in case I messed the first one up. <laughs> but I'll be bringing the extra one to the swap meet March 16th in Greenwood. So that I can, if somebody needs one there, I'll sell it to them. Oh, that's cool. Look at this, Rico. I don't, I don't know if you can see it, but if you zoom in, the... Is that the tack part in the middle? So this is a dual gauge, or I'm sorry, a dual yeah, needle well, it is. setup? That, that tells you what speed to shift. Oh, look at that. Not really a tack. It's just what speed to shift for each gear. Oh, okay. So it's still one. It's still a single needle, but yeah, recommended shift for gear. All right. That's cool. Yeah. And then just an arrow for five. Like, just keep going. Yeah. Keep going. 
<laughs> you won't get much past that but 100 cc <laughs> even going downhill with a tailwind i'm not sure 100 cc would even move me down the road to be honest probably not oh you'd be surprised at what they carry after all in vietnam they would carry a family of five plus the cow <laughs> well, yeah there's that <laughs> that's about it <laughs> Oh jeez! Yeah. Uh, but I'd like to mention one more thing. Uh, we were talking about the uh, the show, the swap meet March sixteenth in Greenwood because we're also having a vintage motorcycle. Oh, actually, we're going to do a motorcycle auction. If you got a motorcycle and you want to sell it, but especially if you have an antique, classic, or vintage motorcycle, mm-hmm. it'll be an auction. Plus, Max Power Dyno out of Concord is bringing their portable unit there. Mm. So you can get a dyno run for 20 bucks. So if you got a bike, you really want to know what horsepower it's got. You can bring it and get it dyno tested for 20 bucks. I do. do. We got to go. This is March 16th. What are you doing March 16th, Hogan? Yeah, March 16th. You around? Yes, starting at 10 o'clock. So Greenwood is the midway point. Um, So Rico's in Atlanta, um, like the south of Atlanta. McDonough, are you still in McDonough or is that a yep. different town? No, that's it. So he's in McDonough. I'm in Charlotte and we met in Greenwood recently. That's kind of, uh, mm. well, I call yeah. it halfway, but Rico said he rode an extra hour than me, whatever. Halfway. <laughs> <laughs> it was halfway on the map. <laughs> right. Mm. I sent you guys a picture of a bike. I want you to look at Lord. You mm-hmm. pick that one. Oh man, <laughs> oh, that's rough. It's up against a tree. It's up against a tree. I take the tank. Oh, I love the forks. We yeah, got, we got to put this in the show notes. That's awesome. Oh, <laughs> uh, pistons on the uh, camshaft. That's not going to work. I don't think. <laughs> I'm no engineer, but I don't think that's going to work. Nah, but. I'm sure we could import a Chinese engine to put in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. What are those, um, what is it, Janus? What do you think of those little Janus bikes? Those guys were at Barber. Yeah, those are actually cool. I really like them. I think they're a couple grand too high. <laughs> yeah. That's true. I, yeah, I mean, really, they're a couple grand too high for but, I mean, they're beautiful and they're hand-built. I can understand people wanting to get their money for the craftsmanship, but... For sure. It'll be this. Yeah, we kind of debated that when we first saw them and, and we talked to to Richard and a couple of the other guys when we were in Barber. And that's what we said, is this would be a neat alternative to a vintage bike. It's done. It has the look. You know, small CC. But, you know, I was looking for more around five, 6,000, not, not eight. So yeah, I think I think I think we're in agreement. Just a couple grand. I noticed somebody was talking about their fifty cc Super Cub pushed them thirty five miles an hour. I had a C seventy Passport. I actually got it up forty one when I was in Indiana a couple summers ago. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was Sean with his uh, Super Cub that he got over the last summer. Yeah. Now I've read. Okay, so does those bikes feel safe at that speed? They'll survive. That's that's about wide open for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, they feel okay. They have 17-inch wheels on them. They feel better than a 
down a moped with eight-inch wheels and feel at that speed. Let's see. Any other? Let's see. What other bikes we want to talk about, Rico? We talked about a good first bike, things to stay away from. How how are the values doing, Floyd? What do you see yeah, that's as a good point? What do you see as bikes that are appreciating quickly or or maybe what's up and coming? What should we be grabbing now out of the barn and stashing away? You know, it's kind of interesting because a lot of them I see, for example, like the CBXs and the 83 CB1100F have already skyrocketed in value. The Yamaha VMAX never really went down, but if you can find a good first-generation VMAX mm-hmm. at a good price, that would definitely be one worth grabbing and hanging on to. The old interceptors, and especially if you can find an unmolested GSX-R Suzuki. For like a first first generation? Yeah, first generation. Those are, those are really starting to climb back up. The trick is to find a stock one and not a 7-Eleven with a six-inch over arm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I think that's just the nature of, of sport bikes. I mean, they're they're yeah. not much different than Harleys in that regard. Like, they're all customized. Yeah, that's it. And, of course, there's still Yamaha 650s, XS 650s that can be had for good prices. So if you can find a decent one for a good price, I would hang on to it. Mm-hmm. The old 60s Honda stuff, now right now the early 70s CB 750s and 550s are going up. Of course, Z1 Kawasaki's are already through the roof. Mm, those are nice. Yeah. But, I mean, I've seen them. The average condition ones are bringing five or $6,000 now. Excellent condition, bringing 15 or higher. How about something like the ZRX? I've always liked those. 1100 and then the later 1200s. Yeah, the ZRX twelve hundred. That would be a good one. They're actually, those are actually can be found for good prices now. And if you find a really nice one, it would be worth putting away. Yeah, I probably or hanging on to it and babying it. Don't put it away and don't ride it because then it'll quit running. Yeah, the problem is I'd I'd ride the heck out of it if I had one. <laughs> oh well, that would that still be, that would still be better than letting it rot behind the tree. Yeah, go ahead, Rico. Yeah. Yeah. Now I was gonna say what you need, Rich, is find you like a, a Honda uh, XS uh, six fifty. Why is that? The XS six fifty. That's the Yamaha. That's a Yamaha. Yeah. 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 Those are uh, those are commonly available but valuable. To a lot of people, they're very popular both with restorers and customizers. You don't you don't like the early Goldwing, Rico, as a Project bike, well, I, flat I, four. Come I on. do. It just seems like a lot of work. Yeah, to that bike. But I love the here's here's the thing about the early Goldwing. When you get it fixed, it stays that way. <laughs> that's the, that's the thing about it. When you get it fixed, it stays that way. He, what he means, Rich, is once you have it fixed to the stand, it's gonna <laughs> stay on the stand. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. <laughs> I'm with you, <laughs> and I and of course the uh, let's not forget like for example the the seventies uh, and the early eighties small block motor gooses can be found in restorable condition mm. uh, for under a grand sometimes and Ironhead Sportsters are are really cheap right now, 
But the older models, if they're if they're restored to stock condition, will still bring good pennies down in Florida. And out at the big auctions. Mm-hmm. The 60s Honda stuffs, the dreams and the 305s. And actually, they peaked several years ago. Their prices are absolutely outrageous several years ago. But what what is happening, I think, is the guys that grew up that wanted those bikes, that had those bikes when they were younger, most of, a lot of them have passed on or they're, they're way past riding. So while those bikes are still valuable, they're not as valuable as they were 10 years ago. Got it. And any shovel head sportster that's not chopped or bobbed, it's still close to original. And I'll go out on a limb here and make a prediction on a, the one that is quite frankly is most is the most improved bike by turning into a cafe racer ever is the CX five hundred Honda. Mm. Yeah. I have a feeling cool. that the stock run the list one will be uh, valuable in ten years. Okay. That's the one that looks like the goozy, right? With the yeah. cylinders coming out the side. Yeah. Yeah. But it has a big radiator on the front and a weird gas tank. Yeah. What's that, Rick? What about, I was just saying, like, what about like an old um, B50 Motogusi? Motogusi. V50, yes. Classic yeah. small block gooses. Yeah. I, like I said, I have seen restorable examples, not running, but restorable under a grand, just under a grand, which is amazingly low compared to the rest of the goosey world. That's what you need, Rick. Well, we, yeah, we need a show bike. Like we need something that we can customize and paint our yeah. logo on, take it to shows. That's, I would love that. If nothing else, so just put it, put it somewhere and leave a pile of stickers. Leave <laughs> <laughs> it up against a tree. Yeah. Leave it up against well, a tree. If you need any help with that, let me know. <laughs> we can call it the tree stand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, let's see. What else is on your mind, Hogan? Vintage wise, you know, what about BMWs? I mean, some BMWs look good. I guess, like, what I what I struggle with with some of the older BMWs uh, is the ones with the motors the motors coming out the side. What, what year is that? No. Like the airheads? The only thing, those were actually great bikes and extremely reliable, and they probably wouldn't need much, and there's aftermarket parts available for the ignitions and the carburetors. Yeah, like the the R100s. Yeah. And for that matter, a lot of them would not, I think Sean Birch has one that he was trying to get rid of if he hadn't (laughs) gotten rid of it yet. And those are, well, like I said, it's a matter of once you get it fixed, it'll stay fixed. Right. If it has, if, if it has anything wrong with it at all. And they, those are steady. Those bikes hold their value steadily, and they climb steadily. They climb a little slower because they're not, you know, hipster bike at the moment bikes. Right. Uh-huh. But they're, they're good, solid. I hate to use the word investment when it comes to bikes because none of them are if you're in it for money, you're in it for the wrong reason. Right. right. Yeah. If you want an investment, get some gold. <laughs> yeah. Or some, yeah, some gold or some stocks or something. Or a quick hundred but bucks. It would be a good solid bike to have. 
you want to make a hundred dollars on the bike, just take the hundred dollar yep. bill and stick it in your pocket. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, I, I got to know about, well, we have to do a little thanking here in a minute. And of course we want to get, we want to get Floyd's eight days a week, which ought to be interesting considering your okay. garage. But before we go, I'll ask if John or Rico have questions, but I also want to know what's your, what is your favorite bike of all the bikes you've owned? What is the one you can put your finger on and say, that's my bike. I love that one. And maybe it's not. Just okay. The one, one that I hard. really say was my 1980 on the CB 750 F. Uh-huh. That's the one that I put over a hundred thousand miles on. Nice. Good choice. And I mean hard miles on it. When it dropped the valve, it had 104,000 miles, and I was doing a burnout with it. Yeah. <laughs> <Atta> boy. <laughs> <laughs> I beat that thing like a government mule. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's awesome. All right, Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> All yours. <laughs> I don't know if I could top that one. Um, <laughs> See, oh, oh, some of you, what is like some of your favorite roads to ride, I guess? Okay. I think it's Highway uh, 97 in Georgia, Georgia, Georgia State Road 97. I think it's just east of Alpine Helen. Uh, I got a couple of favorites around here Old Charleston Highway from uh, the edge of Florence County. Over to near the PD River in in Darlington County. It's a little short stretch. It's only about five miles. But it's probably the closest thing you'll have to a really good curvy road here. Okay, so it's uh, so these are curvy roads, not scenic, right? Right. Well, ninety seven is scenic. They're not super curve roads. I road. I can I say something? It's going to be heresy. <laughs> I really don't like riding roads like the Dragon and all these places in the mountains where you, you're you so busy concentrating on the road that you can't look around yourself. Yeah. I, think I that's, like a lot of back-to-back sweepers. And, I think that's why the, the Charahola Skyway is so nice. It is yeah. a curvy road. The skyway is nice. You can look around. Yeah. Now, even then, you'll still get passed by the occasional racer type. <laughs> Rico. No, what? Not what? Rich. Rich. Yeah. No, I ride a Harley. No, you don't. You ride an R6. Johnny John, you still awake, bud? Barely. <laughs> it's cold up here. Cold up there? Make some heat. Yeah, well, I've been listening to the show. I've been enjoying it. Turn up the heat. You have uh, any questions for Floyd? Mm-hmm. Oh, he's got everything. I think you guys have had pretty good, so. All right. Any uh, on the event? Any other things you want to share about the Southeast Classic that's coming up soon here, March sixteenth, in Greenwood, South Carolina? Um, plenty of parking. Is there going to be food there too? Plenty of parking. Is there's about uh, four or five acres paved. The the will be at the uh, Greenwood Farmers Market. The actual bike show itself will be indoors. Okay. The event will be going rain or shine. We have the dyno runs. We got vendors. We got we got a couple of bike dealers uh, who have committed to bring bikes. One is a Honda dealer, and the other one is a Triumph, a vintage Triumph dealer. So we're looking forward to having a great 
great day and a great time, and we hope everybody that can be there will be there. Yeah, I think uh, I think I might be around that weekend, so I'm going to try to get down there as well. It's not that far from Charlotte. Well, I look forward to seeing you there. Two hours, yeah. All right. Well, Floyd, prepare your eight days a week. We need to take a moment here and thank some people, and we'll get our pens ready for that list. Okay. All right. Let's take a moment and recognize the people who continue to make our show possible. And we do that by thanking the writers of Loud Pipes for their continued support. And before we do that, two shows in a row, let's welcome Scott Brown to the writers of Loud Pipes Clubhouse and all the perks that go along with that for his support. So, Scott, we thank you for that and and welcome. No sound effect yet, Rico. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll use this one. Oh, wait, that's the racing one. That's for racing. Can't use that. Right. Can't use that. <laughs> we were going to use this one. That's better. No. <laughs> All right. The rest of the group, first five, that would be Marcus, Rickard, Edward, Jebby, and Zion. Slack pack would be Chuck, Nobby Tire, Old Man Slacker, Sir Mike, and the executive producer of Chaos and Mayhem. And actually, while I'm here, let me remind everyone that Sir Mike's podcast, Shut Up and Ride, We'll be releasing its third episode shortly, so be sure to check that out. It's been a lot of fun producing that one, not having to do all the the on-air stuff, but I do like to do the production behind the scenes. Uh, Barbershop would be Steven and Jacob. Loud Pipes Racing would be Mr. Sean Birch. And I'll just remind everyone that on Loud Pipes Racing, if you go to loudpipesracing.com, we have a link there for racing specific donations. So that's all separate from the stuff we do on Patreon and, and things like that. So that will be directed specifically to um, either Brian Honeycutt's racing efforts or the people's bike at the Isle of Man TT or the Isle of Man TT sidecar, which totally forgot the name. So we will put that in the show notes. Uh, let's see. Loud, um, we did loud pipes racing. Uh, Steve, Micah, Kenny, Dangerous Dave, James, Bronco Ride, Rich, Joe, Tony, Jed's Moto, and of course Scott now make up the Riders Group. And we have Darren, the Motorcycles and Misfits podcast, Kale, and David rounds out the insiders. Mm-hmm. So we appreciate all the support, no matter the size. And if you would like to show your support for the show and, and join our little group, head over to loudpipes.net slash donate and check out all that we have to offer. all right Lloyd are you ready with your eight days a week okay yeah I'm ready with it I'd actually give it some thought I came up with eight plus one honorable mention (laughs) so our we'll just remind everyone we haven't done this in a while but our eight days a week is is sort of your ultimate garage so it is uh, seven items to ride or drive or fly pilot skipper whatever you know we'll take anything that you like and one project all right i've got my pen ready my nice finely milled billet aluminum pen with my parchment paper i'm ready to go okay you ready to go (laughs) i'm ready all right well the first one up on the list is a 1957 harley davidson sportster yeah 
I mean, axed out taking a year from 57 to 80. But I'd, earlier, the better. Nice. I like that. Yeah. I like it a lot. Yep. Next up is, would be a genuine factory edition 1988 Honda RC30. Oh, wait a minute. I got to look at that. Race bike. Yep. Home allegation special. We're going to hear Rico's hit the jaw, hit the floor here in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's two. All right. Number three, 1973 Kawasaki Z1. Oh, yeah. That's a nice one. What do you think of the Z900 RS? The new one. That is a beautiful bike. It's nice, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I was... It, I mean, that they actually, I, I actually test drove the CB1100 that Honda came out with, mm-hmm. but it's kind of bland. <laughs> and it was kind of disappointing that it only had 90 horsepower. <laughs> you know, an 1100 should have at least 110 horsepower, even air code. You talking? I guess about, I was just spoiled. You're talking about the new uh, CB1100? Yeah. I like the R, R model. Yeah. I thought it was a oh, it looks good. It does no wrong. It does no wrong, but it blends right in with the background to me. And it's, yeah. <laughs> okay. It, it suffers from Honda's success. It's almost too perfect. Yeah. All right. Number four on my list, and this is the ultimate green bike for me, which is a Vincent Black Shadow. Oh. Any year. Any year. For that matter, I'd take any Vincent except for a, a Black Knight or a Black Prince. All right. A couple yeah, of those jump Barbara. back up. Yeah. Jump back up to jump back up to the favorite part of my childhood is the eighties. And I'll go with an eighty-six GSXR eleven hundred. Ooh. With the whole Yoshimura package strong at it. It's going with the, the big boy. Yeah. Man. <laughs> yeah. I, we didn't know uh we know Floyd was such a racer. I know, right? <laughs> he likes to go fast. Yeah, a little yeah. speed demon in him. That's right. I, I got to at least keep the image up. Right? <laughs> 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 and then, of course, another bike that I really wanted, and this is the one that I actually probably consider one of the most beautiful motorcycles of all times, the 1975 Triumph T-160 Trident. The T-150s were kind of homely, but the T-160 was a beautiful bike. <laughs> I got to get a picture of one of those. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a lovely machine. It's very Honda-esque, my friend. Kicks yeah. back everything. It still has that little unique British character to it. And there's something about the way a triple sounds. A triple just sounds it. It is thrilling. I think the thing for me with the the older Triumphs is the the way the the case covers are rounded. Like there's no there's no hard edges to that stuff. No, that's pretty cool. And they're beautiful light handling bikes too. They really are. I've ridden when I had one I was restoring for a while, but I had a motorcycle accident a few years ago and sold my entire bike collection. I've been building it back up ever since then. Hmm. Sounds like a story for another day. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's kind of a boring story. I slid down on wet grass in the backyard. I don't even have a good story. You know, it'd be so much better. Well, I went, I was coming around the curve 110 mile an hour, and there was a cow in the road, and I had to lay her down. But unfortunately, nothing that good. <laughs> All right. Now, the last bike I have here on this list is the 89 and 90 Honda GB500. That's the tourist trophy. GB500 TT. TT. Uh, let's see. I don't have any. Oh, yeah. A little, little cow on the back. I like it. I like that tank. That's pretty hard to believe that was a factory bike, but they couldn't hardly give them away when they were new. Before their time. Mm-hmm. What, what would a, a good running example of this go for nowadays? About nine to $10,000. Shut up. Really? Yeah. Huh. What the money <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. uh, Brother Hogan says no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's basically, it's, it's a beautifully dressed, well-suspended XL500 with an electric starter. I like it. Even the that's even the that's aftermarket ferry. T five hundred Ascot sitting in the garage right now. You have one now. You said. I have an FT five hundred Ascot, not a not a GB five hundred. Got it. You can buy a nice looking, nice running Ascot for fifteen hundred dollars, <laughs> but it's downright homely compared to the GB five hundred. Well, let's see. Motor Relic made a pretty nice uh, custom out of it, though. Yeah, looking at some pictures now. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. I don't like the front wheel, but it looks cool. Yeah. All right. That see, that's seven. Now you have to have a project, and I know you have eight or twelve projects already. But what would be your ultimate project? There's one bike that I've always wanted to do: a ground up, strip it all the way down to the bare crankshaft, and rebuild it restoration on. And that would be a '72 to '74 Moto Guzzi Eldorado 850. Mm. I was somebody did a custom on one of those recently, right? I'm thinking my mm-hmm. saw that come across my feed here not too long ago. Yeah, those are beautiful old bikes. Not bad, not bad. They're probably all uh you'd probably be hard to find one of these unmolested though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's actually it's hard to find one that's that's not already restored. Right. Yeah. Or somebody just said they know where one is in Hendersonville. Yeah. But I just bought I just bought a brand new Gucci and spent all my money. <laughs> I wish I had. Oh man. I think I think Sean knows where every custom bike is between like here and the Mississippi. Yeah. He just waits for you to say, you know, what you like and it's like, hey, you know what I just found? Yeah. <laughs> Guess what? Oh, that's yeah. cool. Somebody's got a side-by-side with the the California yeah. 1400 Custom and a 74 Eldorado. You yeah. said uh, unmolested and unrestored. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's a cool one. <laughs> Rico, look at this. Yeah. Well, John, too, yeah. since you're still awake. Huh? What? You want to wake up? Look at the difference in size between the the new Guzzi California in that El Dorado. Put it in the show notes. Yeah. I mean, it looks like a 
a Hummer H2 versus a small car. Yeah. Well, that's actually my complaint with a lot of the new bikes. They're too big? Even even something like the Sportster, you could park a 57 Sportster and hide it behind a 2019 Sportster. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, 74 electric glide, you could hide it behind the street glide. It would disappear. Yeah. The same thing, and uh, it's not just it's not just the, the Japanese bikes are the same way. You could hide the old, old ones behind the new ones that gain so much size. Oh, here's a funny picture for you. <laughs> I have to put this in the show notes, too. It's mm-hmm. it's a couple two up in a pretty good corner, an Eldorado eight fifty. Yeah, that's a nice one. That's pretty good lean for a bike like that, and two up. Mm-hmm. Well, if I'm traveling, my wife is usually with me. So nice. Did it's you do- kind of funny, and the car she's always telling me to slow down on the bike. She never protests. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because she's got duct tape. <laughs> I put this duct tape on. Sit, sit still. <laughs> you, you ever do any racing, Floyd? Like organized racing? Oh no, not really. I ran. You know when I was a, when I was a kid, I went up Camp Coker one time for. Because my first bike was a KD100 Kawasaki, and then I did a did a little bit of drag racing and a lot of street racing. Mm-hmm. Allegedly, and it was typical. Never any really organized racing. Gotcha. Well, I'm I'd like to do some track days this year. That's part of my plan for the R6. Yeah. Not not like bar to bar, but just just fun open track days. And that extra sounds like fun. I've been wanting to do that. That's part of the reason why I'm going to keep working on this interceptor. I may just wind up not putting any lights or any street equipment back on it, using it for that. Yep. Yeah, the thing is, uh, Rico and I were talking about it last weekend when you were here, is I'm I'm afraid it's going to be one of those things, it's going to be like a drug. And, of course, it's probably a couple hundred bucks every time you go, and that's going to be the end of any new bike chances. <laughs> yeah. It's all going to yeah. go to the track. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know that money you had saved up for a bike? Yeah. Gone. Yeah, it's gone. We're going down to Road Atlanta in a couple of weeks. <laughs> cool. Join, join our, just join our and go run around the track on a CB350. Right. There you go. All right, let's see. Anything else, guys? It's about frozen on ten thirty, so we probably got to wrap it up here. Speed parts. What's that? I appreciate you having me on there. All right. Well, the first event coming up is Rico and I and the boys and brother Kennedy and his daughter. We're all going to Supercross on Saturday uh, in Atlanta. That'll be yeah, fun. Yeah. And the show may or may not be out by then. <laughs> John's going to MotoGP in Austin, April 12th through the 14th. And that same weekend, I'll be at the Congregation Show here in Charlotte. We have the fourth annual Motorcycle Podcasters Challenge, which the rules will be out by the time most people hear this episode. 
That's May 9th through 29th. June 1st is the East Coast Moto Amino Meetup in Salisbury. The Loud Pipes Meetup is now going to coincide with the Gettysburg Bike Week again, July 11th through the 14th. Antiques on Main right after that in Chesney. That'll be July 27th through 29th. John will be back in upstate New York August 9th through 12th. And then 2020, Rico and I will be at the Isle of Man for the TT, and John will be in Sturgis. That's a mouthful. Good some. And I would like to again thank the Riders of Loud Pipes for their continued support. If you're interested in joining this group and supporting the show, check out loudpipes.net slash donate. I want to thank everyone that joined us in the chat room this evening on loudpipes.net slash live. That runs on the Mixler platform, and we appreciate everyone hanging out with us. And additional information from this episode, including uh, links to what Floyd does, the uh, Vintage Motorcycle Club, and all the other events that we talked about, will be on the website, loudpipes.net slash 152. We have links there to leave us some feedback. Subscribe to the show. And follow us on social media. <laughs> Looking for the button. <laughs> All right, Brother Hogan. Let's do this, Bruce. Thank you, Johnny John. Thanks. It's been a great show. Thanks for joining us. Yep. Thanks, Floyd. We appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. All right. Good night. Good. Thank you for listening. Please consider supporting the show. We offer generous rewards for your contribution. Find more details at loudpipes.net forward slash donate.